0: Gracias.
1: Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. And I yeah. must tell you that I regret to inform you that we are doing a true crime episode uh, this evening. That's not where the apology comes in, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be covering the case of Sylvia Likens, the unfortunate, horrible... Debt, torture and Death of Sylvia Likens. Anybody who
0: knows the case just turned the show on.
1: I hope they did. And we are uh, discussing the film The Girl Next Door, which depicts a fictional account of what happened. There is another film called An All-American Crime, I believe is what it's called. Uh, Elliot Page is in that one. And what's strange is I didn't know they came out the same year. Um, I had seen The Girl Next Door before, um, and I think primarily why I wanted to stick with that one is because, uh, it's already scary enough and I didn't want to watch a different one, <laughs> but also to, um, I think it becomes a little more horror adjacent because it's based on a book by Jack Ketchum. Yeah. And, a notorious one. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jack Ketchum, uh, his name is around in horror circles. And so there's the association there. um, I want to ask both of you uh, any
2: previous familiarity with the case or the film. Uh, familiarity with the case, um, and it stopped there. It's—I mean, it's no secret that I'm—you know—especially with the with this show. I think most of us are into true crime, and those of us who, including previous co-hosts who necessarily weren't full blown true crime guys at least found some interest in the movies and whatnot but like this this is the line for me um that's why i won't be summarizing it either i kind of said from jump when this was thrown like it's cool we can cover it but i'm not interested in summarizing the case because um it takes a lot to get under my skin this one troubles me as it does anybody, I'm not yeah. trying to you know to take the self-righteous right. <laughs> uh, stance on this it, obviously it's upsetting to everyone, but uh, this one there's a reason this one isn't covered on every true crime show it's 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 tough um, and so beyond the the actual case, I was never interested in in seeing anything uh, dramatized or any fictional spins with it. Um, so I mean in in that regard, covering it for this episode, took me down that path that I would have otherwise never ventured down. So you had never seen the film before? Nope. Okay.
0: I'm uncertain how it happened, but I have actually seen the movie before. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh? I don't remember. How, I want to say that I was just looking for something to watch one day, and for whatever reason, watched it and regretted
2: it. <laughs> Please put your shirt back on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, after I had watched it, I then found out later that it was based on a true story, and I... Well, Actually I think I knew it from the movie But I did no digging Beyond, After watching it I was like I don't want to know anything else about this Other than what I have just seen I think I agree with everything that you had said about this This Is such a mean Spirited Occurrence Not that all of the things we covered aren't But I think this is The difference there's no with serial killers a lot of times when we look into this and i think the reason why so many movies have been made about you know Bundy or Dahmer or whatever there's an intrigue of the the psyche of the murderer and what made him tick and and it's whereas this i don't have that like i kind of know why you're sh- why you're shitty straight out of the gate you just suck there's no intrigue as far as that goes, and even uh, when we when we watched, well, did we watch West of Memphis? Yeah. At least with that, my interest is because we know that these guys, oh, the Devil's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's because we know the guy, the West Memphis Three, the story that goes with that, and and, and the uh, wrongful conviction and all that. This has none of that.
2: And to build on what you're saying, the detective work is frequently yes. an appealing case or an appealing part of a case and how they catch someone and also the effect that it has on a community. None of these things are present in this case. No. This is everyone is
0: awful in this it's, story.
2: It's upsetting, it's behind closed doors, and it ends well and, and we all let you and negligent neighbors summary. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to go too far before we get into the summary, sure. but these are interesting elements on why I think because this is in our state. Mm-hmm. And if you went around and asked fifty people, I promise you Most of them are not going to know the name. Oh, yeah. Because it's just it's so gruesome that it's kind of just been bypassed. Yeah. Yeah, this is easily top five worst crimes in Indiana history. Without question.
1: Without a doubt. Robert
0: Robert and I are not in the same room right now. And won't be from now on because I'm so mad at him for picking this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm via satellite.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, so... Uh, you know, we got to, we got to start from the top here it, with, uh, you know, this is a severe trigger warning, um, uh, torture of a minor sexual violence. And literally I just put in caps, everything awful. Yes. I like guess it's a terrible story. So if, if you just don't have the stomach to listen to this today, just turn it off. Honestly. <laughs> sure. Nobody gave me this option. You guys, <laughs> nobody. Now with that said, I, I want to say why I chose this. Um, one, a, I mean, just, because it's out there. I mean, it's 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 depicted in two films, one featuring fairly decent talent, not the mm-hmm. one we watched. It um, <laughs> wasn't meant to be a dig. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> but that and I covering this because it is local. It's Indiana, sure. Um, and there's no films on Herb Baumeister, so I thought we would cover this one, but primarily in hopes that education about this case will increase the chances that these types of things never happen again. And you know, you got to you raise awareness about these things so that these people, these victims are never forgotten. And hopefully someone remembers that and they learn to say something when they see something. Sure. And that's,
2: that's a big reason for me as well. Um, it's an in- interesting angle with, with what you're saying that sometimes the people that deserve to be remembered the most are forgotten because it's so upsetting. Yeah. Exactly. And so in that regard, Um, you know, it is, it is good to say her name and and discuss the case more. It's just, uh, along the way, when you watch something or read something, you, it's very easy to turn your stomach with how it could easily be exploited. Um, Mm -hmm. that's not to indicate that I think anything that we viewed did, but, um, yeah, it's, it's good in that regard in the same breath that more Hoosiers should know the name. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and any and as Todd has brought up on the show before, any illusion that people like to maintain that we used to be a proper country, or we used to yeah. be, you know, uh, the world's just gone to hell in the handbasket. No, uh, humanity's always been awful. Yeah, people yeah.
2: have always been awful. Uh, David Lynch explores that a lot with the 50s, mm. kind of blue velvet and that kind of white picket fence, uh, you know, facade, the exterior, and then just the, the absolute twisted uh, psychosis that frequently mm-hmm. lay behind those doors, and this is this is certainly an extension of that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, if anything, if there is a silver lining, by the end when we get to the end of this story, uh, that this affected laws in Indiana, uh, and it also created a Sylvia Likens, I want to say, like child advocacy center uh, over in Lebanon, so Lebanon, Indiana, not the country. Um, so, yeah. Alright, let's just get into it, shall we? Sylvia Marie Lykins was uh, born January 3rd, 1949. She was the third of five children, born to carnival workers, Lester Lykins and his wife, Elizabeth Betty Francis. She was born between two sets of fraternal twins, Daniel and Diana, and Benny and Jenny. Jenny Likens suffered from polio, causing one of her legs to be weaker than the other. She was afflicted with a notable limp and had to wear a steel brace on one leg. We go into that detail because Jenny is going to be sadly involved with this incident as well. Lester and Elizabeth's marriage was unstable. They often sold candy, beer, and soda at carnival stands around Indiana throughout the summer, moving frequently and regularly experiencing severe financial difficulties. Um, yeah, I think their occupational background is important to note as well Because that's what's going to get us into the situation that we are about to cover Yes, all carnies are dangerous <laughs> <laughs> Kidding I was almost a carney one night <laughs> uh, The and <Likens'> sons <laughs> regularly traveled with them in order to assist with their job But Sylvia and Jenny were discouraged from doing the same Out of concern for their safety and education As a result, both sisters frequently stayed with their relatives, often their grandmother Sylvia was, has been described as friendly, a friendly, confident, and lively girl with long, wavy, light brown hair extending below her so- shoulders and was known as Cookie to her friends. Although exuberant, Lycan's always kept her mouth closed when smiling due to a missing front tooth which she had lost while roughhousing with one of her brothers. She was fond of music, particularly the Beatles, and was notably, notably protective of her markedly more timid and insecure younger sister Jenny. On several occasions, the two sisters would visit a local skating rink where Sylvia would help Jenny skate by holding her hand while Jenny skated on her unaffected foot. I mean, we don't have to paint this portrait of her as a sweet girl, but if we're going to remember her the way she should be remembered, it should be this way. By June 1965, Sylvia and Jenny resided with their parents in Indianapolis. On July 3rd, their mother was arrested and jailed for shoplifting. Shortly thereafter, Lester... Arranged for his daughters to board with Gertrude Banaszewski. Sorry if I messed up on the Polish there. The mother of two girls with whom the sisters had recently become acquainted while studying at Arsenal Technical High School. Paula and Stephanie Banaszewski. At the time of this boarding agreement, Gertrude assured Lester she would care for his daughters until his return, as if they were her own children. And I think we all know Mm. that's not true. Hmm. Shortly after the 4th of July holiday, the sisters moved in 3850 East New York Street in order for their father and their mother to travel to the East Coast with the carnival, with the understanding that Gertrude would receive weekly boarding fees of $20 to care for their daughters until they returned to collect Sylvia and Jenny in November of that year. Anything we want to say
2: before I dive into Gertrude? Um, just that how quickly a normal innocent childhood can be derailed um, that the, just the, that high level of responsibility as a parent, how quickly that can become undone. Because even with their unstable kind of existence, these children were, were leaning on each other and having what seems to be a happy enough time mm-hmm. um, and how getting in trouble for shoplifting can just set off this chain of events that yeah. we're discussing.
1: There's a new level of these decades
2: uh, later desperateness yeah. to
1: need to make some money. Right.
0: As we get into it more and more, you can see the parents had the best of intentions. They didn't want the girls going on the carny work. And uh, the guilt that these people have had to have felt. Unreal. Right. Just, ugh. Yeah.
1: So let's talk about Gertrude a little bit before we continue the story. Gertrude Baniszewski was born in Indianapolis, Indiana. She dropped out of high school at age 16 to marry 18-year-old John Baniszewski, who was originally from Youngsville, Pennsylvania, and was of Polish ancestry, and with whom she had four children. Although John Baniszewski had a volatile temper and occasionally beat his wife, the two would remain together for 10 years prior to their first divorce. Following her divorce, Baniszewski married a man named Edward Guthrie. This marriage lasted just three months before the couple divorced. Shortly thereafter, Banishevsky remarried her first husband, with whom she had two more children. The couple divorced for the second time in 1963. Weeks after her third divorce, Banishevsky, I don't know why I just don't say Gertrude, that's an easier name. Gertrude began a relationship with a 20 year old welder named Dennis Lee Wright, who also physically abused her. She had one child with Wright, Dennis Lee Wright Jr. Shortly after the birth of their son in May of 1964, Wright abandoned Gertrude. Shortly after, thereafter, Gertrude filed a paternity suit against Wright for financial support of their child, although Wright seldom contributed to the care of their son. So here we are. It's 1965, and Gertrude lives alone with her seven children. Paula, Stephanie, John, Marie, Shirley, James, and Dennis. Although 36 years old and 5 feet 6, she weighed only 100 pounds and has been described as a haggard, underweight asthmatic, chain smoker suffering from clinical depression due to the stress of three failed marriages, a failed relationship, and a recent miscarriage. In addition to the sporadic checks she received from her first husband, a former policeman, upon whom she primarily relied financially to support her children. Gertrude occasionally performed odd jobs for neighbors and acquaintances, such as sewing or cleaning, in order to earn money. There's a little bit of background on Gertrude.
0: Well, let me tell you something. My grandparents were divorced in the 60s. My mom had six brothers and sisters. Now It was a little more of a rural area of Indiana. But in that time, at least in my mom's situation, divorce was looked at. There, people look down on that there were kids that weren't allowed to play with my mom and her siblings because their parents were divorced so imagine being this woman who's had three marriages you know and, uh, children out of wedlock I can only imagine how she was probably viewed by her peers which would make you think that maybe why people weren't keeping an eye on the place perhaps And yes. maybe they were right Jesus,
2: I'm just kidding. But in this sense, no, I didn't a, know how to respond. To that. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah. I'm I'm just relieved. I thought this is where you would reveal that you were related to Gertrude somehow. <laughs> um, no, it's. I and I know we'll get more and more into it. So I don't want to go too far in it. The one thing with with the element of her that I that I find the most shocking about this case. Is this was not a loner on the outskirts of town? Yeah. This is a woman right. with this many children. That's what's so bizarre about this case is that there isn't like some serialized horror that leads up to this as we build up to it. This is somebody who already has this established world. That I mean, you know, we'll get into it. Just goes apeshit. Yeah, this is not uh, the Sawyer family.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. well Actually, that could be worse than the Sawyer family. <laughs> Uh, Although Lester Likens had agreed to pay Gertrude $20 a week in exchange for the care of his daughters, after approximately two weeks, these payments failed to consistently arrive upon the prearranged dates, occasionally arriving, are you ready, one or two days late. In response, Gertrude began venting her frustration at this act upon the sisters, Sylvia and Jenny, by beating their bare behinds with various instruments, such as a one-quarter-inch-thick paddle, making statements such as, Well, I took care of you two little bitches for a week for nothing. On one occasion in late August, both girls were beaten approximately 15 times on the back with the aforementioned paddle, after Paula had accused the sisters of eating too much food at a church supper the household had attended. If you're listening now and this is already starting to sound too grisly for you, I invite you to check out our next episode. (laughs) And Go ahead and turn this one off. By mid-August, Gertrude had begun to focus her abuse almost exclusively upon Sylvia, with her primary motivation likely being jealousy of the girl's youth, appearance, respectability, and potential. According to subsequent trial testimony, this abuse was initially afflicted upon Sylvia after she and Jenny had returned to the Banaszewski residence from Arsenal Technical High School as well as on weekends. The initial abuse included subjecting Likens to beatings and starvation, forcing her to eat leftovers or spoiled food out of the garbage cans. On one occasion, Likens was accused of stealing candy she had actually purchased. On another occasion in late August, Likens was subjected to humiliation when she claimed to have a boyfriend in Long Beach, whom she had met in the spring of 65, when her family lived in California. Gertrude informed her and the other girls in the house that whenever they did something with a boy, they would be sure to have a baby. She then kicked Lycan's in the genitals. Paula herself, three months pregnant and also jealous of Lycan's physical appearance, then participated in attacking Lycan's, knocking her off her chair and onto the kitchen floor, shouting, you ain't fit to sit in a chair. I think these assumptions of motive are pretty well based and established that the mother, the older sister, um are jealous of this girl because she naturally has some sort of charisma or draw that people actually just like this
2: girl. It's, she's a good person. It's the only thing that I've ever taken from it. Um, I I don't think there was ever anything spelled out on that, but the way I've always viewed it and maybe you guys feel differently and maybe I'm just way off on this, but I've always thought it was a combination of jealousy and attraction. Mm -hmm. Um, in a way that, as this started to get out of control, it unlocked something within Gertrude um, that maybe even wasn't premeditated with her. Mm-hmm. That it just kept getting more and more out of control. And that's not to say that it, that any kind of um, angle of, of where this is coming from can't be a, a healthy, separate thing. Yeah. In terms, of, not not to say violence against somebody, but yeah. um, I think that that she didn't know how to process it I'm trying to walk very delicately here on this but I think it unlocks something um, that got sinister very quickly Yeah, and it was fueled initially in jealousy that then turned into something else Mm -hmm. that will never be said out loud and never was. Right. Uh, There's
1: just some things I'm just going to skip over because there's just so many specifics that, that go into the case but I mean they would make her eat we already read that she would have to eat rotten food from trash cans. Uh, they would like overload her food with condiments and it would make her vomit. Like they would just
2: do, and then they'd make her eat that. Yeah. They'd make her, they buried on one instance they covered in the podcast that I listened to with the, the condiments. It was just like what one little hot dog Mm -hmm. covered in like almost a bowl's worth of a whole thing of like mustard and ketchup made her eat it all. She then got sick, made her then eat that also. Yeah.
1: Animals. Uh, here's a terrible one worth noting on one occasion, Paula, the older sister uh, beat lichens about the face with such force that she broke her own wrist uh, having primarily focused her blows on lichens' teeth and eyes later, after she got a cast Paula then used her cast to beat young Sylvia um Gertrude would accuse Sylvia of promiscuity and engaging in prostitution um and
0: tell everyone like tell which we- makes you wonder because there seems to be a preoccupation with prostitution was somebody projecting something from their own past that they weren't proud of it, you have to I mean there's I've got no re- no facts to base it it just makes you wonder because there seems to be a an odd preoccupation with
2: that oh, well yeah. and because you go from zero to a hundred yeah and I think the natural inclination is just to go where is this coming from right yeah this is not traceable in human behavior. Like, what has festered to unlock this? Yeah.
1: Right. Um, Gertrude would also occasionally force Jenny to strike her own sister, and then, if Jenny refused, would beat Jenny. Um, there's a bunch of neighborhood kids. Randy gordon Leper, Coy Hubbard, several of other classmates would visit the the Banishevsky residence to both physically and verbally torment Lycans. Often collaborating with the family's children and Gertrude herself. With Gertrude's active encouragement, these neighborhood children routinely beat Sylvia, sometimes using her as a practice dummy in their judo practice sessions, lacerating her body, burning her skin with cigarettes, and severely injuring her genitals.
2: And at this point, she's captive. Yeah. right like we at a certain point this evolves into into the base I don't well, think this is that yet a we haven't gotten right. there yet yeah okay.
0: because we have to go through several layers of society failing this girl first before we get to that point
2: I just want to make sure with with some of the the torture elements that we're talking about when that evolves yeah yeah
1: um to entertain Gertrude and her teenage accomplices all right I mean that's Any teenagers who are listening, I hope not to this episode specifically, but if you're hanging out at a house with weird things going on and there's one adult there, don't hang out at that house anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and we've all... We all know, we, we all had that house. We yeah. all know somebody comes to mind for every one of us from our teenage years. Best nights of my life.
2: <laughs> I'm Again, sorry, I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to laugh to keep from crying.
1: Uh, To entertain Gertrude and her teenage accomplices Likens was forced at one point to strip naked In the family living room and masturbate With a glass Pepsi bottle In their presence This is not the only time that would happen But that is the only time I'm going to mention it Uh, Gertrude stating To all present this act of humiliation Was for Sylvia to prove to Jenny What kind of a girl she really is So again Back to that Thou doth protest too much Mm -hmm. sort of angle you had Gertrude eventually forbade Likens from attending school after she confessed to having stolen a gym suit
0: from the school due to Gertrude having refused to purchase clothing for her. But this is also after a school. Somebody from the school noticed hmm. Sylvia. Looking ratty? Yes, being thin and bruised and went to investigate and Gertrude gave them some line of bullshit and they were like, okay. And that's the only time they looked in on her. They're like, oh, she ran off with some boys. Yeah, yeah, and came back like that. Like, oh, oh, okay. And then takes her out of school, forbids her from going to school. Ugh.
2: This is like, um, just for a little joke here, this is like when, when the it's rolling towards an Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. Very slowly. Mm-hmm. You have all of the opportunities to correct mm-hmm. this just over and over and over and over again. Everybody drops the ball. Yeah, just the entire way. That's yeah. what's so heartbreaking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah.
1: Um... After this act, she beat her with a three-inch-wide police belt, um, would yell at her about the evils of premarital
2: sex before repeatedly kicking her in the crotch. Uh, Again, one... everything is sexual yeah. with this, and that's the element that I think is sometimes skipped over because it's so slimy, Yeah, but so much of this stuff are things that, at their rooted, at their roots, can be a healthy situation for adults to enjoy. Whereas I think Gertrude is unlocking something where it's not people voluntarily participating and, you know, against a minor, obviously. But there's something that's unlocked here. And didn't we already say that Gertrude's
0: own daughter
2: is pregnant pregnant
0: out of wedlock right now? Yeah. Yeah. And isn't getting kicked in the fucking.
2: Right. Instead, we're we're going to accuse the other one of prostitution with uh, no basis in reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: believe I read that that. Uh, police belt became a favorite tool to yep. beat her with. Yep, it did. Uh, this beating, this
1: particular beating was so bad that the younger daughter of Lycans, or, or not Lycans, Gertrude, the second daughter, tried to stop her mom. Saying, hey, stop beating her. She Thank didn't you. do anything this time. Humanity has entered the house. Yeah. Somebody's speaking up here. Yeah. Um, so... Sylvia and Jenny are both so terrified. They're they're scared to notify their family members because they're afraid to... Or tell students at, at school that, because they're afraid of what the consequences would be for doing that. And why wouldn't they? Right. Every adult.
2: It just doesn't help.
1: Right. And that's I think it's something that a lot of people don't understand. They're like, well, they were dumb for not asking for help. It's like you
2: don't understand what an abused mindset does to people. Right. You have no idea. Especially when you witness firsthand... <laughs> every adult failing you yeah. because you assume that's going to happen. And then the fallout from it is going to be more pain and yeah. violence. Their own
0: adult sister that they run into in a park. Yeah. It's going to get fails that. them. Yeah. Um,
1: and so in July and August, uh, their parents would occasionally return to Indy and visit their daughters, uh, whenever their travel schedule gave them the chance. Uh, the last occasion that they did visit them was October 5th, uh, and they said on this occasion neither girl exhibited any visible sign of distress about their mistreatment to their parents, and it was likely because they were both in the presence of Gertrude and the family. Like, he's going to be like, hey, like, these people are fucking us up, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. And then when the parents left, Gertrude turns to Sylvia and says, what are you going to do now, Sylvia, now that they're gone? Like, just animal. Yeah. You know? Um, the story that Vinny was leading to here, uh, one night in September, the girls ran into their older sister Diana at a local park, and Jenny and Sylvia both tried to tell her about what they were going through, and saying that Sylvia's being specifically targeted, uh, but they never said where they actually were at, and Diana believed her sisters, but, or no, Diana believed that her sisters must have been exaggerating their claims regarding the scope of their mistreatment.
0: And she eventually finds (laughs) out where they're at. Yep. and goes.
1: Yeah, and then
0: uh, Gertrude says, "Your your parents said you're not allowed to see the girls." She mm-hmm. says, "Oh, okay." Yeah, I just, ugh, guys. Here's the thing about this story, and spoiler alert: this never gets better, and there's no real fucking justice. Mm-mm. By the end of this, like, it, ugh, it's maddening. Yeah, like she shows up. She finally finds out where
1: the girls are staying. Like, decides maybe they're not lying. Shows up and Gertrude's like, "You need to get out of here. Your parents told me not to let you see the girls." She's okay. Turns and leaves. No. Okay. So
2: it's like uh, it's like a Tommy boy when he says, "Yeah, seems like a pretty nice guy." <laughs> right. Um, uh, there.
1: Gertr- now Gertrude gets to the point of where. Um, now she's uh, making Sylvia take scalding hot baths,
0: like. That fucks me
1: up. And when she passes out, Sylvia, or uh, Gertrude, beats her head on the side of the tub to wake
2: her back up.
0: Passes out from the pain.
2: Yeah. I got nothing productive to add <laughs> here. Yeah.
0: Mm.
2: I, I, it's It makes my blood boil every time, which I know is nothing noble. It's so frustrating, though. Right. Due to the increase in
1: the frequency and brutality of torture and mistreatment, Uh, Sylvia became incontinent this is where she gets moved to the basement and she's also denied any access to a bathroom Um, and as a form of punishment for her incontinence on October 6th Gertrude throws lichens into the basement and ties her up she was often kept naked, rarely fed and frequently deprived of water Uh, occasionally she was tied to the railing of the basement stairs with her feet barely touching the ground Physical and mental torment such as this would occasionally pause when the Banashevskis were watching their favorite television shows. They'd stop beating her long enough so they could watch Dick Van Dyke. Uh, neighborhood children were also occasionally charged five cents apiece to see the display of Sylvia's body and to humiliate, beat, scald, burn, and ultimately mutilate her. Through her captivity in the basement, Gertrude frequently, with the assistance of her children and neighborhood children, restrained and gagged lichens before placing her in a bathtub filled (laughs) with burning hot water and proceeding to rub salt in her wounds. Ugh. Ugh. This one's too gross. I'm just not even going to say it. It just involves a child's diaper.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And Sylvia, you can make the connection there yourself. Uh... Gertrude shouted, uh, shortly thereafter, Gertrude shouted for Likens to return to the kitchen, uh, then ordered her to strip naked and claimed, You have branded my daughters, now I am going to brand you. And she began to carve the words, I'm a prostitute and proud of it. Again, we go back to the same old tired story. She began carving it into her abdomen with a heated needle. When Gertrude was unable to finish the branding, she instructed one of the neighborhood kids, Richard, 14-year-old. Richard Dean Hobbs to finish etching the words. And, uh... Gertrude then took Jenny to a nearby grocery store. And what Hobbs would later insist were short light etchings. He continued to brand the text into her abdomen as she clenched her teeth and moaned. At what point are you this kid and the lady who told you to do this even leaves, but you keep doing it? And again, 14... You know...
0: Eh, there's still something wrong with you.
1: Yeah. Um... Both Hobbes and the 10-year-old Shirley Banishhevsky then led Lycans into the basement, where each proceeded to use an anchor bolt in an attempt to burn the letter S onto her, although they applied one section of the loop backwards, and this deep burn scar would resemble the number 3. That night, Sylvia confided to her sister Jenny, said, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I'm going to die. I can tell it. Uh, Imagine, uh, yeah.
0: Also, on top of the physical shit, then, and Gertrude, after they burn that shit into her body, says, Well, Sylvia, what are you going to do now? No one's ever going to want to marry you now. Yeah. You can't ever take your clothes off in front of anybody. Like, just, God damn. I yeah. got
2: nothing. To...
0: Yeah. <laughs> then,
1: uh, the following day, Gertrude makes uh, Sylvia write a letter to her parents. To explain all this away Because they plan to kill her now And so Yeah
0: you're going to dump her off in the And this just
2: shows how absolutely fucking stupid Gertrude is The the approach to this doesn't even make sense Like what you're creating wouldn't exist But go ahead Yeah Uh,
1: After writing the letter She was then again tied to the stair railing Offered crackers to eat And she refused them And said give them to the dog I don't want it and so Gertrude got very upset and shoved those crackers into her also mouth. Also
0: because she physically couldn't eat crackers because she'd been so deprived of water.
1: So dehydrated.
0: That she didn't have the saliva to break it down to eat it.
1: Yeah. Uh, she did try to escape on October 25th um, after overhearing a conversation about how they were going to leave her to die. But due to her injuries and her weakness i mean gertrude caught her before she could get anywhere you know to try and escape and she tried to force crackers into her mouth before repeatedly striking her in the face with a curtain rod until sections of the curtain rod were bent into right angles uh coy hubbard one of the neighborhood kids then took the curtain rod from gertrude and struck sylvia one further time rendering her unconscious gertrude then dragged sylvia back into the basement By the morning of October 26th, Sylvia was unable to either speak intelligibly or correctly coordinate the movement of her limbs. Gertrude moved Sylvia into the kitchen and having propped her back against the wall, attempted to feed her a donut and a glass of milk. She threw lichens to the floor in frustrations when Sylvia was unable to correctly move the glass of milk to her lips. She was then returned to the basement. In attempts to wash Sylvia, a laughing... uh, John Banishevsky sprayed her with a garden hose brought to the house that afternoon by Randy Leper at Gertrude's request. Likens again desperately attempted to exit the basement but collapsed before she could reach the stairs. In response to that, Gertrude stamped, stomped on Sylvia's head before standing and staring at her for several moments. Shortly after 5.30, Richard Hobbs returned to the house and immediately proceeded to the basement. He slipped on the wet basement stairs and fell heavily to the floor of the basement, before he confronted with the sight of Stephanie crying and cuddling Lycan's emaciated and lacerated body after she had been ordered by her mother to clean Sylvia. Stephanie and Richard then decided to give Sylvia a warm, soapy bath and dress her in new clothes. Then they laid her upon a mattress in one of the bedrooms as Sylvia muttered her final wish that her daddy was here and that Stephanie would take her home. Stephanie then turned to her younger sister, Shirley, exclaiming, Oh, she'll be all right. When Stephanie realized that Sylvia was not breathing, she attempted to apply mouth-to-mouth resuscitation as Gertrude repeatedly shouted to the children in the house that Lykins was faking her death. Lykins was 16 years old when she finally succumbed to her injuries. But that wasn't enough for Gertrude.
0: Nope.
1: She began to beat her corpse with a book, shouting, Faker! Faker! in order to try and wake her up. However, she soon panicked and asked Richard Hobbs to call the police from a nearby payphone When the police arrived at her house, Gertrude led the officers to Sylvia's emaciated, extensively bludgeoned and mutilated body lying upon a soiled mattress in the bedroom before handing them the letter she had forced Sylvia to write previously by her dictation. She also claimed she had been doctoring the child for an hour or more prior to her death, having applied rubbing alcohol to her wounds in a futile attempt at first aid before she had died. Now, she added that Sylvia had earlier run away from home with several teenage boys before returning to the house earlier that afternoon, topless and clutching that note. Clutching a Bible, Paula Banaszewski, having stated to all present in the household that Sylvia's death was meant to happen, then glanced in Jenny's direction and calmly stated, If you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own sister. As previously instructed by Gertrude, Jenny Lykins recited the rehearsed version of events leading to Lykins' death to police before whispering to the officers, You get me out of here and I will tell you everything. Well, that statement was just enough for uh, the police to arrest Gertrude, Paula, Stephanie, and John on suspicion of Sylvia's murder within hours of the discovery of her body. The same day, Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were also arrested and charged with the same offenses. The three eldest children plus Coy Hubbard were placed in the custody of a nearby juvenile detention center. The younger children and Richard Hobbs were detained at the Indianapolis Children's Guardians
0: Home. All were held without bail pending trial. Sounds great right now, doesn't it? Sounds like justice is about to be served, doesn't Shit. it? Nope.
2: Keeps getting worse, doesn't it, fellas? Yeah, yeah. yes. Universe delivers more than our system does. Yeah.
1: Well, initially... Now, Gertrude's going to fess up to all this, right? (laughs) right. Initially, Gertrude denied any involvement in her death, uh, and she had confessed to having known the kids, particularly her daughter Paula and Coy Hubbard, had physically and emotionally abused Sylvia, stating Paula did most of the damage and Coy did a lot of the beating. Gertrude further admitted to having forced the girl to sleep in the basement on probably like three occasions when she had wet the bed. She became evasive when one officer stated the likely reasons lichens had become incontinent were her mental distress and injury to her kidneys. And Gertrude's like, I'm sorry, I don't follow. Mm. Lacking any remorse, Paula, the eldest daughter, signed a a statement admitting to having repeatedly beaten Sylvia about the backside with her mother's police belt, once breaking her wrists on Sylvia's jaw and inflicting other acts of brutality, including pushing her down the stairs into the basement two or three times, giving her a black eye. Uh, John Jr. admitted to having spanked Sylvia on one occasion, adding that most of the time I used my fist to abuse her. He admitted to having burned Sylvia with matches on several occasions, adding that his
0: mother had repeatedly burned the child with cigarettes. I want to add also that at one point uh, Sylvia had screamed and yelled for help and later neighbors said they heard it but when it stopped at like 3 in the morning, they were going to call the cops but when it stopped at like 3 in the morning it's just, oh okay, never well, mind. Everything's
1: fine.
0: So another set of adults who, why in the fuck didn't you Look into this, failing this girl. And that's not the only neighbor who had suspicion and was like, ah, nah, probably not.
2: And I, you know, I know that they attributed it to saying that there was uh, constantly a lot of commotion over there and they were used to it. And I'm not trying to blame people retroactively, but we all know there's a difference. When you hear somebody truly in danger, uh, just desperately crying for help, that's a cop out. Mm -hmm. That's a cop out later on. To say that that blended in with what you heard regularly. Mm-hmm. That's bullshit. I'm sorry. In in my old neighborhood, where we lived before we moved here, which is just a
1: half mile away, like, a pretty quiet neighborhood, and I heard some girl screaming bloody murder one time, and I'm like, what in the actual fuck is that? Like, you know the difference. Well, cops were there within like five minutes. You know what I mean? Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: everyone knew that that was not a natural sound.
0: Right. Right how and you're telling me that with all of these neighborhood kids involved nobody had any inkling nobody overheard a kid saying anything i'm sorry human beings by nature cannot keep secrets no oh. and the more human beings you bring into a secret the more likely someone's going to snitch you cannot tell me somebody didn't Well and i
2: or i don't know if we're just getting into the kind of the full blown post event right now sure yeah uh, we're, that's what we're at that that's the the thing that i think is is kind of singular with this case is that gertrude didn't put a lot of effort into protecting that no i mean they were literally had people trying to monetize this i mean they're bringing in outsiders if you had somebody who truly was trying to do um something diabolical and and secretive about it you aren't letting neighborhood kids in yeah and i think that's that is what is most uh Fascinating and equally upsetting about this is that outsiders came in to join, and not a good look for our state. Jim Jones, you know, and, and groupthink, and, and kind of following, and, and these interesting conversations on on mob mentality and things getting out of control. This is even, in many ways, more bizarre yeah. that you have this many young people able to kind of all align with this. Depraved, macabre event. Yeah, that that, that's, that seems to have no premeditation. I mean, do we know of any kind of history with anybody? Not no, that none. I know of. There's I've no never heard of any. It's yeah. just like every day. It's like everybody one day goes, "Yeah, I'm nuts." Yeah, I'm subhuman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unreal. I mean, it's just unreal.
1: And I think that's a, another part of why the story needs to be told is that it's just so unbelievable. That, again, if you see something, say something. Like, yeah. if you see something really kind of weird, like, ask your other neighbors, like, you notice any weird shit happening at that house? You, you, is, that, is that weird that people are in and out of there all hours
2: of the night? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I think the thing with, with all of this that's most surprising to me is that, and I mean, we've all been boys in middle school at one point, and you could remember... I, I'm sure you guys can too, and, and listeners as well. You can remember even even the tough ones, had their moments, mm-hmm. where it, it's all kind of a, all kind of an act at that age, um, and and most children ha- have insecurities and soft sides to them. They come from their own backgrounds and their own plights that, that they face at home, right. and and what's shocking to me is that humanity didn't overtake people at this young of an age. To where that didn't kind of kind of bleed out, kind of grow into a, 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 a swelling situation with adults intervening. Right. What I, I find most shocking about this, besides obviously the atrocities committed against her, is that young people didn't flip. Because peer pressure is a bitch at that age. Oh, yeah. But eventually, most kids have that moment where they go, I don't care if I'm uncool. This yeah. is too much. Yeah. And especially with this, that's what I find most surprising about this is how everybody kind of just stayed in the groove with it and seemed to enjoy it. I mean, and and I think that's why it's not talked about as much because at least people shook, yeah, myself included. It's just it's rough,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, it's awful, yeah. So let's get into how the justice system failed. Yes. The
1: trial of the five defendants lasted 17 days before the jury retired to consider its verdict. On May 19, 1966, after deliberating for eight hours, the panel of eight men and four women found Gertrude Banishevsky guilty of first-degree murder, recommending a sentence of life imprisonment. Paula Banaszewski was found guilty of second-degree murder, and Hobbs and Hubbard and John were found guilty of manslaughter. Upon hearing Judge Rabb pronounce the verdicts, Gertrude and her children burst into tears and attempted to console each other as Hobbs and Hubbard remained impassive. Um, Gertrude and her son John, following their conviction for Sylvia's murder... Oh, no, never mind. On May 25th, Gertrude and Paula were formally sentenced to life in prison. The same day, Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Banaszewski... Uh, each received sentences of two to 21 years to be served in the Indiana reformatory. Um, it's interesting to note that this was also a case where they determined that they did not get fair trials because it took place in the county in which it happened. And crimes of this magnitude are not meant to do so. So they got retried. Uh, that is Gertrude and Paula. That is, uh, Paula, this time, opted to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. She was sentenced to serve a term of between 2 and 20 years imprisonment for her part in Likens' abuse and death. Despite twice unsuccessfully having attempted to escape from prison in 1971, she was released in December of 72. Gertrude, again, however, was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. So this is our happy ending, right? Eh. Wrong. Wrong. Over the course of the following 14 years, Gertrude became known as a model prisoner at the Indiana Women's Prison. She worked in the prison sewing shop and was known as somewhat of a den mother to younger female inmates, becoming known to some within the prison by the nickname Mom. By the time of Gertrude's ultimate parole in 1985, for those of you struggling to do the math, she served 19 years. Uh, She changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen and moved to Iowa and described herself as a devout Christian. News of Gertrude's impending parole hearing created an uproar throughout Indiana, as it should have. Uh, Jenny Likens and other immediate family members of Sylvia vehemently protested against any prospect of her release. The members of two anti-crime groups also traveled to Indiana to oppose Gertrude's potential parole and to publicly support the Likens family. Members of both groups initiated a sidewalk picket campaign. Over the course of two months, these groups collected over 40,000 signatures from the people of Indiana including signatures obtained from outraged citizens who were too young to contemporarily recall the case. All signatures gathered demanded that Gertrude remain incarcerated for the remainder of her life. Guess what? She got out. Yep. It's like she shoplifted or something. Yeah. Yeah. Hell, people are sitting in jail for pot longer than that these days. Yep. Yep. Uh, at a parole hearing, uh, she said she wished that Lycan's death could be undone, although she minimized her responsibility for any of her actions, stating, I'm not sure what role I had in her death because I was on drugs. I never really knew her. I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. Taking Gertrude's good conduct in prison into account, the parole board let her go in December of 85. Following her 85 release... Uh, no, we already covered that. Uh, she... Um, she lived in relative obscurity in Laurel, Iowa, until her death due to lung cancer in 1990 at the age of 61. And at this moment, I like to think of what Vinny always says. What do you say about shitheads who get cancer? Fuck them. Cancer is too good for some people. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, after her 1972 parole, Paula... So Paula only did six years. The oldest daughter. She worked as an aide to a school counselor for 14 years in... Iowa unbelievable. having changed her name to Paula Pace and concealing the truth regarding her criminal history when applying for the position she was fired in 2012 when people figured out who she actually was <clears throat> um, I don't think I have a death date for her she may be still alive uh, murder charges initially filed against uh, Gertrude's second eldest daughter Stephanie were ultimately dropped because she agreed to turn state's evidence saying I just want to help anybody that I can Noble. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard, and John Banishevsky all
2: served less than two years in jail. Unbelievable. I'm only being, re- I'm not destroying things because we're in Grizz's house.
1: <laughs> Hobbs died of lung cancer at the age of 21. I was going to
2: say, I do find it interesting some of the outcomes <laughs> for people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lung cancer at
0: 21.
2: Yeah. Four wow. years after getting out of jail. Uh, He's
1: known to have suffered at least one nervous breakdown in that time. Fuck him. Uh, Coy Hubbard remained in Indiana and never attempted to change his name. Throughout his life, he was repeatedly imprisoned for various criminal offenses. On one occasion, being charged with the 77 murders of two young men. Um, It's almost like if he'd have kept him locked up, that wouldn't have happened. Isn't that weird, right? Uh, He died of a heart attack in Shelbyville, Indiana uh, at the age of 56. Not young, but, I mean, certainly not old. Right. John Banaszewski Jr. lived in relative obscurity under the alias John Blake. He became a lay minister, frequently hosting counseling sessions for the children of divorced parents. Several decades after his release from the Indiana Reformatory, John issued a statement in which he acknowledged the fact that he and his co-defendants should, not, should have been sentenced to more a severe term of punishment, adding that young criminals are not Should have been, yeah, adding that young criminals are not beyond rehabilitation and describing how he had become a productive citizen. He died of diabetes at the age of 52. Prior to his death, he had also occasionally spoken publicly about his past, readily admitting he had enjoyed the attention of Lycan's murder brought upon him, but he also claimed that he only hit her once.
2: Well, hopefully, he uh, helped with Tex Watson's. religious website that he's launched out of prison to. Yeah. Yeah. Stop them. So, uh,
1: before we talk about, uh, any other aftermath, you're right, it is interesting how they all Mm -hmm. met untimely deaths.
0: Well,
2: the universe, not the justice system. The
0: house has been torn down.
2: House has been torn down. Last
0: I knew, uh, was a parking lot of a church now, and -hmm. there is a memorial like statue or something for
2: Sylvia in Indianapolis, isn't
1: there? Yep, so for anyone who would want to pay their respects to Sylvia, bring flowers, anything like that, there is a six-foot-tall granite memorial formerly dedicated to Sylvia's life and legacy in Willard Park in Washington Street in Indianapolis. This dedication was attended by several hundred people, including members of the Lykins family. The memorial itself is inscribed with these words. This memorial is in memory of a young child who died a tragic death. As a result, laws changed and awareness increased. This is a commitment to our children that the Indianapolis Police Department is working to make this a safe city for our children. Sylvia's death is credited with the adoption of Indiana's mandated reporter law and with an increased understanding of the investigation and recognition of abuse. The law states that should a member of the public suspect a child is suffering abuse or neglect, the citizen suspecting this abuse has a legal obligation to... To report the abuse to authorities. And last but not least, on October 26, 2015, numerous Indianapolis citizens, including Lycan's older sister Diana, gathered in Lebanon, Indiana to honor Sylvia's life, to reflect upon her life upon the 50th anniversary of her death, and to honor all children who lose their lives to child abuse. At this memorial service, Diana informed those present that Sylvia's legacy must always be remembered.
0: Sylvia's tragic murder and abuse must always be. Remember, I think that's the other thing about this story is that it wasn't that fucking long ago, sure.
2: Yeah, you, I, I, I actually thought of it when you announced the, the ages, uh, when she was born, yeah, uh, a few years off from my parents, yes, yeah, I mean, younger, this, this she's younger isn't younger centuries ago, yeah. right? <clears throat> and so, that closing statement from her sister, I mean, she, she needs to be remembered, yes, I've actually. Uh, not to be hokey here, but I've had uh, just to keep things human, a, a nice picture of her on my phone mm-hmm. while we discuss this stuff. I encourage you to Google uh, pretty pictures of her because yeah. it's a, it's a tough subject.
1: They put a they put a nice picture of her on her casket at her funeral, so mm. that people would remember her that way. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, uh, nice nice job covering. That's not an easy topic not, to that's uh, prepare not for, easy, and
1: I tried to keep it
0: I tried to keep it as succinct as possible, but. I didn't get- I mean that's. On the one hand, you don't want to get into details, but on the other hand, you almost—you
2: don't want to gloss over. You what You have she to, had to let people through. know what she
0: had, what she went through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Nice job,
1: and you have to—I mean—you have to understand the, the depths of of inhumanity
2: that people are capable of. Gravity. Yeah, I, and I think what's most unique to this story is there is no relief. You can usually find relief in justice and apprehension. Yeah, um, somebody intervening. There's usually a glimmer of hope in these stories. Nothing. No more. redeeming qualities in this story. Yeah, at all. Yeah, at all. This literally was uncovered because they went too far, and they were like, "Well, party's over. Let's deal with it." I mean, there, there, nobody stepped in and helped. No, that's, it's tough. It really is. It's awful. Thanks for picking it.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> So let's talk about the film, The Girl Next Door. I don't suspect this will be a long conversation.
0: Um, In some ways, this movie is worse than the case. (laughs) So we've got
1: The Girl Next Door, which came out in 2007, which is the same year uh, as the other film, An All-American Crime. Uh, Let us know if you've seen that one. Uh, Girl Next Door was directed by Gregory Wilson and written by Daniel Farrins, uh, but based on the book written by the notorious Jack Ketchum. Uh, this is a fictional account of the case and what really happens. Uh, some of the top billing is uh, William Atherton. We're kind of hearing the story from his point of view. It's as though uh, we're, we're hearing him as an adult now talking about what he witnessed as a child.
2: And when, he's like... Uh, a legendary asshole of movies of our generation growing up. Um, We got Die Hard, Ghostbusters, Biodome. Yeah. He he frequently has played that role. He's not bad in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of the names get changed a little bit here, but yeah, some of the other top billing is um, Blythe Offarth,
2: Blanche Baker, and Kevin Chamberlain. Then in a small role, I want to mention Catherine Mary Stewart. Uh, who is one of the two girls from Night of the Comet? She plays another one of the mothers there. Okay, gotcha. And then a guy who is like that guy and everything, but Mark Margolis. Oh like. yes, I'm like ah, it's that guy. He gives. Uh, he's in what? Well, he was in um, Breaking Bad. Yeah, he is the landlord in Ace Ventura. He's yeah. been around. Yeah,
1: he's always that guy. So, um, any notes? Somebody give me a chance to.
0: Um,
2: Catch my breath here. This is really, I mean, just to put it in the most simple description, this is a watered-down version, mm-hmm. um, which it has to be. Yeah, I mean, you, And it's still a hard watch. Oh, yeah. It's it's very difficult I don't to
0: know, get to. I feel like they go further in some areas than the actual story. No, not in the, the actual case. But in the actual case, I don't remember any mention of the gang rapes. Well, no, I,
2: that's not to say that the movie is... is is an easy watch. I'm saying that they don't go tip for tat with cigarette burns, nonstop diapers, and eating vomit. There's a lot to the case that is not included in there, uh, which is for obvious reasons. Uh, But it's basically modeled around the case, but it has to be described as fictional because it's not going tip for tat because nobody wants to watch that.
0: Yeah, names are changed. Yeah. 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 Um, what I think the, the film does a really
1: good job of portraying is just kind of some of the lawlessness of the house, because um, that's another thing you all remember that one house where like the parent or parents didn't give a shit and
2: kids just came and went from the house all day.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. She's
2: constantly offering beers, which is in real life as well with that stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. Letting the kids smoke in the house. Yeah. 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 So I think uh, if I have to if I have to give the film one compliment, <laughs> it's it's that and i don't say that to say it's a bad film it's just hard content to watch like it's a
2: pretty decently made film because you you're not enjoying it no yeah that's the that's the caveat with this film it's doomed from the jump because it's not really a movie anybody wants to watch so between the line of respect for what really occurred and trying to make something that somebody wants to sit down and watch it i mean it's it really shouldn't be made it, Did it's anybody just else right think out of the
0: gate the the kid who played davy looked like a child version of old boy from terminator two uh was it robert patrick is that his name i can see that a little (laughs) bit yeah that's all i thought of the entire time
1: but yeah without going beat for beat in the film i mean the film just kind of covers the just the kind of gross feeling you get right from the beginning and then the the slow escalation um because i think that's really what's the hardest to swallow about the case is just that you're like, oh, it's not going to get any worse than this, but then it does. And you go, oh, well, it's not going to get any worse than this, but then it does. And that's, I think, that's what the film captures well. Blowtorch
0: to the Jennies. That's all I got to say.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not. Not fun. Nope.
2: Yeah, because early on, um, when I'm watching this, which is a first time viewing, and I'm thinking. Well, this is low production value. It's not not the the most air of respect here for a real event that occurred and then I thought, why would there be production value? Nobody's gonna think this is gonna make money. I like I, I'm kinda shocked that it even got made and that there's even a name you recognize in it. Um you get into uh cheap imitation fifties music because there's no money to get the rights Check to that stuff. Music. Which again, like just skip it. We don't need that in there. Yeah. Which um, is
0: why it kinda surprises me that they uh didn't tweak the fictionalized story to take place in a more modern era because anytime you do a period piece it's going to be expensive right? for costuming and exteriors uh, and cars and all that
2: I didn't appreciate that the Indiana kids are discussing how it's okay if it's your second cousin I think the quote is second cousin makes a difference and I was like hold on like just don't paint us with a broad stroke here Uh, when they're doing pranks with snakes for fun fuck those kids these are not my people um it's just that I mean there I will say with some some of the acting, there were there were glimmers of uh some talent in there. I thought that the the handicapped sister, mm-hmm. the disabled girl, uh yeah. Susan, Yeah, I thought she was a good actress. Yeah. Um I thought that Ruth was very convincing. Uh, yes. in in you making
0: Oh, if I saw that actress in the street, I'd probably put hands on her.
2: Yeah. And then um yeah we can talk about some of the finality of it, I guess, in a minute, but like the I,
0: time I punched that kid who played Joffrey on a- uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I did think there were i it's like well, I shit on kind of the production value of it and kind of the the necessities that they really couldn't get around. There were some decent things in there in terms of uh acting, not all of them there yeah. there' is some atrocious Just acting some terrible in there. acting
1: yeah, you're right, the Ruth character, the Gertrude character, um I mean uh yeah it's like uh she plays that emaciated kind of nothing going on behind the eyes smoking desperate kind of role pretty well Mm -hmm.
2: yeah well should we
0: wrap it up please
2: (laughs) yeah I, i i was just gonna say i really don't like when the cop leaves the victims with the dangerous adult yeah once this has been uncovered and he just bounces out of the room i'm like I, I get it. We know what we know about the case, and but like, just for practical sake here, what are we doing? Yeah, like that's not happening. Like that—that that was frustrating. But I—I want to point out that I—I I was very surprised with the ending being thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, with William Atherton's character. Yeah, um, that caught me off guard because I was very concerned with Ketchum's book and a movie being made out of it. That this was kind of kind of be a sleazy. I don't want to say cash grab, but somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah, um, and it, it was it was a nice ending. Yeah, yeah, I didn't leave you with as terrible of a taste in your mouth. Yeah, I was I was surprised with the reflection of him in um, the water there, and and remembering back to being a part of well,
0: that. Well, and, and do you know why the movie gave you a little more satisfaction? Because Davy clocks. Uh, Ruth in the head with a fucking crutch and knocks her unconscious. Like
2: you, you get to see a little bit of retribution yeah. intervention at some point for yeah. somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And he's point. the one who tells his dad, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, okay, let's land the plane. <laughs> uh, if you're still listening, I apologize for taking you on this journey. Thanks for sticking around, McRib. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe Sean's still with us. Uh, but, um, yeah, let us let us never forget this young girl, uh, Sylvia, and what she had to endure um, so that we can hopefully be an advocate in the life of someone else who's going through something terrible.
2: Yeah, maybe uh, just Google the story, look up a pretty picture of her. Yeah. Uh, will we recommend the movie to anybody? Nope. No. There we go. Just want <laughs> to make sure we hit that before we left. Yep, don't, don't
1: watch this movie unless you are just a glutton for punishment. Um, I'll never watch it again Yeah, if you're dead Same. inside, watch it Yeah,
2: Benny's the only two-timer here
1: <laughs> Yeah, or if you're, uh, uh, no, unfortunately I'd seen it once before a oh, uh, couple of psychos Yeah, uh, hey, yeah, but I watched, I watched it once and didn't pick it <laughs> Hey, we needed a third episode <laughs> Okay, well, maybe we'll air this, maybe we won't So, uh, God bless all of you for sticking through this <laughs> um, I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner. Joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, signing off. Stay scary.